Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Leviticus chapter 23 this morning. We are beginning a new series this morning, a new worship series or a new series of messages on the subject of worship. And we're going to be using Leviticus chapter 23 as our backdrop for this series this morning. And I'm excited because last year, when we went through a worship series, I felt like the Lord raised our level of worship as a community of believers. And I'm asking for him to do the very same thing again this year, to raise the level of our worship personally and our worship congregationally again this year. The other thing that I've just got to say up front is even though I shouldn't be surprised by God, I, I'm still surprised by God at just how he fits things together at just the right time. Uh, this series, Nicole and I started to work on this months and months ago. And I think you will find as we go through this eight-week series just how timely the things we're going to talk about are considering the time we're living in now, which wasn't something that was on our radar when we first were starting to plan this series. Leviticus chapter 23. Let me just give you a little bit of, a, of an overview of this book. It is a unique book, even in the, the Bible. And you could divide this book up into two major sections. The first 17 chapters of Leviticus, God is revealing to people the way to God, the way to him. In fact, that's always been God's focus ever since the fall and, and Genesis chapter 3 and the events of that is, how do we get back to God? How does a human being have a relationship with God? How, do, how can we be in fellowship with God? How can we be near to God? The way to God is presented in the first 17 chapters of this book. But then beginning in chapter 18 through chapter 27, the rest of the book, God concentrates on the worship of God, teaching then his people who have come to him by his way, how do I worship God? How is it that God wants to be worshiped? What are the values of God in worship? So it's the way to God and the worship of God. And very interestingly, these have been God's focus, again, ever since the fall. You can go through every book of the Bible, and in some way it will trace back to either God revealing to us the way to him or the worship of him. And you find it all in one book, the book of Leviticus. Now, this morning, we're going to specifically look at the Sabbath, and we're going to talk about that for a moment. But in the weeks to come, we are going to be talking about what's called Israel's appointed times. And they were really seven feasts that God gave to his people in the Old Testament. There were the spring feasts of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost, and then there were the fall feast of trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. And in each of these, 
we learn how God wants to be worshipped and why we should worship God this way and what you and I gain and benefit from in worshiping him this way. Because the principles are still the same. In fact, God gave these principles to his people in the Old Testament to prepare their hearts and minds for the coming of the Messiah. Well, we could say the same thing today. Even though he's come the first time, you and I are now living between his first and his second advent. And so God can use these very same principles to prepare our hearts and minds for the coming of the Lord as well. And to be a people who worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus said, that's the kind of worshipers my father is looking for. That's the kind of worshipers that God wants to build us into here at the Oasis Church. So let's get into it this morning. We're just going to look this morning at three verses out of Leviticus and then a couple other passages of Scripture. And I want to note this as well up front. In the first two verses, what we learn is that God wants to regularly meet with his people. God wants to regularly meet with his people in a community. Yes, he wants to meet with us on an individual basis, and we are all to have that personal relationship and fellowship with God, but God has always desired to meet with his people in community, corporately, as we come together. And the second thing we learn in verses 3 and 4 is that God wants us to rejoice and to be refreshed in him. God wants us to rejoice and be refreshed in him. Let's first look at the first two verses. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are the Lord's appointed times, which you must proclaim as holy assemblies, my appointed times. The first thing we see there is that God speaks. And aren't we glad that God speaks and is not silent? Because if God didn't speak, we wouldn't have no clue as to the way to God and the worship of God. God is a communicative God. God has always spoken. He's always sought ways to get his revelation of who he is and what his desires are and what his heart is to his people. And he does the same thing here with Moses. He comes to Moses. He reveals his message to Moses. And then Moses is simply to be the mouthpiece piece of God to God's people. And so he says to Moses, I want you to declare my word, my revelation, verse 2, to the Israelites. And here's what I want you to tell them. I have appointments with my people. You ever think about that? God has an appointment with us that he looks forward to regularly. We have an appointment with God. You see, and this is true, not just in the Old Testament. This is true in the New Testament as well. The author of Hebrews tells us as New Testament Christians, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Ever since the church was started on the day of Pentecost, the, the tr Christian church has met on Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, as a day to commemorate his resurrection, as a day to celebrate his resurrection, and as a day to regularly each week, just like they did here, come together as God's people to say, I'm keeping my appointment with you, God. 
because I know I have an appointment with you. Notice it's called an appointed time because it is a fixed time for God's people to come and assemble for worship as a congregation, as a community, corporately. It isn't just enough for us to have an individual time. God has always said, it is part of my will. It is the way I want to be worshipped to see my people come together as a community of believers and to corporately worship me. Are we keeping our appointment? Notice he also goes on to say, you must proclaim these as holy assemblies. What's that mean? That means these are very special and sacred times. They are sacred and special to God, and therefore if we value the things that God values, they should be very special and sacred to us as well. Think about this. I mean, think about this. The God of the universe, who has a lot of stuff to do, right? A lot of stuff on his mind, keeps the universe going, hears every prayer, all that kind of stuff. He literally can't wait till he sees his people come together to meet with him. And that throughout the world, when God's people come together as a community of believers, just like here at the Oasis, God literally looks forward to the next time he can meet with us here together as a group of people. Now, I don't know about you, but that's just like, for me. Wow, God. I need, to, I need to realize then how special and sacred that is for me because you count it. Special. You say these are holy assemblies. These should be something that is of great priority and value to us as God's people because you are telling this, this is the way to worship me. I do, do not just worship him individually as an individual Christian. I do, but that's not the end. The end is I've got to also be part of a church, of a, of a community of believers, and I've got to do this on a regular basis. This is God's fixed, appointed time for his people. In fact, notice he ends verse 2 by telling Moses, you tell them these are my appointed times. In other words, this isn't man's idea. This isn't Pastor Jeff's agenda that he's trying to push upon you all. This is God's agenda. This is God's idea. In a sense, God is saying to his people, I want to meet with you on a weekly basis, regular appointments, and it's our timeouts together. I'm calling timeout. It's God's timeouts. It's a weekly reset that God says you and I as his people need on a weekly basis. Whether we think we do or not, we need a re weekly reset where we come together as God's people and God says, time out, let's come together and meet. And, and that makes sense to me, might not make as much sense to you in, in this way. One of the things I used to do way back in my old life, when I was much younger than I am now, is I coach basketball. I not only play basketball, I coach basketball. And one of the things that a good basketball coach will learn to do is call timeouts. And timeouts are really for the same two reasons God calls timeouts for us as his people spiritually. You call a timeout as a good basketball coach 
First of all, because you need your team to sort of reset. They're, they're getting away from the game plan. They, 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 they need to be reminded of what we sent you out there for and what was the offense we're running and what's the defense we're running and if we're running a press, what's the press we're going to, you know, it's like you begin to get into the flow of the game and you get caught up in a sense in the circumstances of the game and you forget what are we here for and what are we supposed to be doing and stuff and so you call time out to, to gather the people together and gather your team together and say come on guys this is what we need to be focused on this is what we need to be doing and God does the same thing with us when he calls time out every week let's remember why we're let, let's remember what are the big rocks what are the things we're supposed to be majoring on and focusing on? And what's the minor things that we can let go? And the second reason a good coach calls a timeout is because we want to break the momentum of the enemy or bro break the momentum of our opponent. Our opponent is starting to get the best of us. They're running up and down the court. They're scoring baskets. And we want to break the momentum of our opponent. God does the same thing with us spiritually. Sometimes our enemy starts to get the best of us, the best of us communally, the best of us maybe individually, and God says, time out. I need you to come together and worship me so that you can be refueled and re-energized and restored and healed and strengthened and all that so I can send you back out there in the world in, into the game and I, I can have you start operating at a higher level, reset weekly. God wants to regularly meet with his people. So with that, let's go to verse 3. Six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy assembly. You must not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all the places where you live. First of all, let's talk about this for a moment. Notice in verse 3. God says, work, and work six days, labor, activity. God commends work. In fact, God made us to work. It is honorable to work. And I love the fact that I am the pastor of a church with a lot of good, honorable, hard-working people as part of our church. You are hard workers. And I just want you to know that even on those days where you're like, I don't want to work, <laughs> that there's something honorable in putting an honest day's work in and getting an honest return for it, to work hard. Because we are living in a world today where the work ethic of many people continues to diminish and where people don't want to work hard for anything anymore. They want things simply handed to them without working for it. And that has never been the way and will of God. It is not how God will bless and benefit and favor our lives. God made us to work. I'll even go so far as to say this. Be careful, those of you that especially are my age or a little bit older, as you approach a certain time of life where you're looking forward to what we call retirement. 
because I'll just simply say this. Retirement as we do it, at least in our world today or in America today, is not a biblical concept. And be careful, because for many who have retired, they have literally sort of removed themselves from doing anything on a daily or regular basis that gives them purpose and meaning in life. I'm not saying to do what your occupation has been up until the time you go to be with Jesus. That's only something Pastor Jeff wants to do. See, like, my, my dream is to, like, pastor you guys for another, you know, 25, 30 years, be up here on a Sunday, preach a, preach a message when I'm in my 80s, and, stuff, and then just go to be with Jesus. <laughs> I, that's the way I want to go. I'm not planning on it. But what I am saying is this. Be careful that you don't remove some type of purpose and meaning from your life, even up to the time you go to be with Jesus. Because when you do that, you do yourself and so many other people a disservice. God made us to do something meaningful and purposeful the whole time we are alive on this earth. God made us to work. But notice, God also in this, these verses commends both the working and the resting. And God made us to work, and we work best when we what? Rest. So what did God do? He built in to our cycle, to our rhythm of life, one in seven, one in seven, rest. And let me say this. This was pre-law. Some people get, oh, the Sabbath, it's, it's the law, it's mo No, no, no. The Sabbath goes back to Genesis chapter 2 when God created the world, the universe. And God said, here's an example I'm going to leave with you that goes all the way back to Genesis. I'm going to create the universe in six days, and I'm going to cease activity on the seventh day and rest. Not that God needed to do that, but God wanted to lay down at the very beginning. This is the good, healthy rhythm for your life. Work six, rest completely on one day. Why? Because God says, I want that day not just to be a day where you are refueled physically. I want that day to be a reset and a refuel for you spiritually. Because you need that. We all do, you see. The Sabbath, therefore, was to be more than just a day of relaxing. It was also to be a day of rejoicing and celebration, a day of worship that was set aside for the Lord. And notice he says, on the seventh day, there must be a Sabbath of complete rest. Why? Why not work at all on seven days? Well, one reason why, we were demonstrating as God's people, our trust and faith in God, in his provision. And we're going to talk about that next week. In other words, that God would supply our needs through our six days of work that would last us seven. You see, God would meet our needs in six days that would last seven. And especially think about that in an agrarian society where instead of, again, going out into the fields and doing it, no, no, I'll give you enough food in six days that it'll last you seven days a week. But the principle is still the same. 
What is a Sabbath? Well, it means to rest. It means to cease from labor and to be refreshed. And then he says, again, this is a holy assembly. This is something that is very sacred and special to God and therefore should become something very sacred and special to God's people. Question we all need to ask ourselves. Are we resting one day a week? I mean, truly resting. And in that day of rest, are we not just seeking to sort of rejuvenate ourselves physically and to give our physical bodies a break, but are we using that day to truly rejoice and celebrate and find spiritual refreshment there too that will, as we come together, will carry us in and through the next week till we meet again? Notice he says, you must not do any work, verse 3. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all the places where you live. What's that mean? It means it is also going to be a witness to others around us that we belong to the Lord and that we are setting aside a day of following what he said, of trusting in what he said to provide for us in six, for seven, and that we are also showing people that God means so much to us that we are setting aside a day each week to devote not only to physically resting, but also to worship him. And that he is of such value that we will make sure that we are there in these holy assemblies on a weekly basis to show others that we feel that he is that important, that he is of that much worth and value, that we're going to worship him as a community of believers every week. I thought to myself, too, as I was, you know, reading and studying this, what a God we serve that he says to each of us as human beings, now remember to get your rest. You know, there's all these man-made gods throughout history. And most man-made gods are, are not very nice gods. That's what I love about our God. Our God truly has a heart of love for people. He truly does look out for our best interests. He truly is trying to teach us, here's the rhythm of living life on the best you can do in a fallen world with fallen people, including ourselves. Work hard, yes, and honor me and honor yourself by working hard and establishing a good work ethic in your life. And don't be afraid of hard work, but make sure that every week you are also setting aside a day to rest so that your spirit and so that your body and so that your soul can be restored and re-energized and refreshed on a weekly basis. That's why I titled this message this morning, We need to worship the God of rest. A God who says, I'll give you rest. I want you to rest. It's okay to rest. God is giving us permission, one in seven, to rest. Are you giving yourself that permission? You know, sometimes we as Christians, we're we're maybe as bad, if not worse, than others. It's like we, we somehow feel guilty if I spend any time relaxing and, and just being. But I gotta be doing something. 
fact, I, I dare to say that, that for many of us, we don't know how to relax anymore, truly. And that's part of it, and I don't want to get off on this this morning, but that's part of why we're even in the midst of what we're in, where everybody's pursuing being safe. In the midst of all that, we have a rise epidemically in suicide, in alcohol addiction, in drug addiction, in, uh, in sleeping pills, in anti-anxiety medicine. So I'm thinking to myself, as we're pursuing being safe with everybody and everything, how comes we're not feeling at rest and at peace? inside here. What, what, where's the disconnect then? Because shouldn't we, if we're feeling safe and doing the things that make us feel safe, then why are we mentally tanking and spiritually tanking? Shouldn't be that way. Because maybe we're not doing it God's way. See, God says, I want you to rest. I want you to be okay with resting. One of the things that we learn even physiologically is that human beings, even Christians, can get to the point where we live at such an adrenaline level. I don't know ever done research or read books about this. I did. <laughs> where we can get to such a level that we actually get addicted to adrenaline and to living at a certain level, and it's very hard for us to sort of calm down and come down from that level of adrenaline. We've always got to be at that pace. God never meant us to live that way. One of my mentors wrote a book one time, and he says, God meant us to live at camel speed, and we're living at rocket speed, basically. And that's why so many of us, including Christians, are breaking down over time spiritually, emotionally, and physically because we keep the pedal or the accelerator of our life on all the time, and we never learn that we've got to let off the accelerator. And God is saying to his people, this is the way to worship me. Stay strong physically. Stay strong emotionally. Stay strong spiritually. Give yourself permission one and seven so that when you do come together, man, you're able to pour your all into it. You got the energy. You got the, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, strength and all that to be able to pour out serving me and, and all of that. Instead of just, I'm at the end of myself. I got nothing left. So with that, let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I just want to pick it up here, beginning in verse 7. Basically, this passage of Scripture is talking about the promised land rest that the people of God we're going to get by following Joshua into the promised land. But again, even that was more than just a land flowing with milk and honey and people being provided for physically and getting to a place where they were at rest with their enemies and all that. It was always about more than that. And so he says in verse 7 of Hebrews 4, so God again ordains a certain day that even in David's day, long after Joshua, long after the promised land, he said, oh, that today... You would listen as God speaks and do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, if it had just been that kind of rest, then God would not have spoken afterward about another day. But consequently, even now, in New Testament times, in, 
in Hebrews times, in, in church times, Consequently, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. A supernatural, spiritual rest is still being offered, notice, to the people of God. To the people of God. To the people of God. See, being at rest is more than just being saved. God here is not offering a salvation rest. We rested in a sense in that when we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior and realized, I don't have to work for my salvation. All I have to do is trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross to know that my sins are forgiven, and now I become a child of God. And there is that rest where you and I finally give up trying to be good enough or working towards salvation, and we go, I'm trusting you, Jesus, totally for my salvation. Certainly that brings rest. But we also know that after salvation, as Christians, as the people of God, we might not be at rest because there's also a, a rest of surrender that has to happen after the rest of salvation. And that's what he's talking about here. Because notice he says in verse 10, for the one who enters God's rest, that's important, it's not a rest that I can come up with. It's a rest that only I can have in God. It's his rest. It's something that he gives me, that he grants me. Also rested from his works just as God did from his. In other words, the author is saying, we've got to cease trying to come up with our own way of entering into a rest that only God can give and only can come the way he prescribed it to come. I've got to cease trying to get there myself. I've got to listen and trust and be obedient to the way that God says we find rest. Thus, verse 11, we must make every effort to enter that rest. That's sort of an oxymoron, isn't it? I've got to make a lot of effort to enter rest? Yeah, i got to concentrate all my energy on achieving the goal of being at rest in him. Well, how do I do that? I already stated it, but I want to emphasize it. Through surrender. Not through salvation now, because we're already the people of God. It's through surrender to God so that no one may fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. See, God had already saved those people, right, under Joshua, out of their slavery in Egypt. They were already saved, so to speak, right? But just because they were saved didn't mean they were at rest. In fact, we know if you read the story of these people, they were not at rest. They were grumbling, and they were complaining, and they were griping, and they, they never were at rest, and finally, God said, okay, that generation, you're going to die out, and we're just going to take the younger generation under Joshua, and we're going to take them into the promised land. Because you guys just won't surrender. You won't listen. You won't believe. You won't trust. I saved you, but you were never at rest. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. You see, we can't get there our own way. We can't get to this kind of rest, this supernatural spiritual rest, this God rest, by trying to do it our way. we got to stop and do it God's way. So what is God's way? 
Go back to Matthew chapter 11. Maybe the definitive passage in the New Testament on this subject. It's the words of Jesus himself in Matthew's gospel, chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Maybe one of the greatest invitations of all time. Be, be, beside maybe the invitation to come to God in salvation is this invitation where Jesus himself says, come. But notice, come to me. Because he says, I'm the only one that can give you this rest. True rest can only be found in Jesus. And the rest here, again, is supernatural, spiritual refreshment and restoration that can only come from Jesus. But I want you and I to note something very important here. In this passage of Scripture, as Jesus goes on, he says in verse 29, take my yoke on you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. Did you notice that there are three then commands in this passage, each calling for a choice to surrender to Jesus? The word come is a command, the word take is a command, and the word learn is a command. And so Jesus is saying, you want to be at rest? You want to experience my supernatural spiritual rest that I alone can give you? It's conditional. It's conditional you got to be willing to come, surrender, and come to me. Stop trying to do it yourself or find it in yourself or in someone else. you got to take my yoke, meaning take on what I want you to have, not what you think you should have, not what you want to be responsible for and take on, not what others think you should take on and be responsible for. You just take my yoke. What I want you to do, live, live my will for your life. Because he says later on, my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. Why? Because whatever Jesus' plan for our life is, it fits us. And whatever he asks us to do, he'll give us the grace, his grace, his supernatural empowerment to do it. That's why it's not going to be hard that's why we can manage it, because we've got his grace to manage it, because he's going to give us his grace for his will, you see. Take his yoke. And then he says, learn. Learn. Very interestingly, this word for learn is very, very close to the word for disciple in the New Testament. This word in the original language is methantano, the Greek word for disciple is mathetes. It comes from the same root. A disciple is a learner, one who's a devoted follower, one who's willing to follow, if you will, and learn. That's why Jesus said, I'm calling my disciples. You just come hang out with me, and you will learn from me as I teach you, as I show you by example. That's what he's saying here that we not only come into his rest when we come to him, but when we're willing to take on what he wants to have us be responsible for and then continue to follow him in a devoted way every day, just stepping into his will every day for what he wants for us. 
because he promises us, if you're doing what I'm asking you to do, I'll make sure it's manageable, I'll make sure it fits you, and I'll make sure you have the grace to do it. Because he says, if you surrender to me and come and take and learn, you will find rest, verse 29, notice, for your souls. So again, we know the Sabbath and the principle of the Sabbath is not just speaking to us about making sure we physically rest. It always meant more than just physical rest. That's important because when God created us as human beings, body, soul, and spirit, he tied it all together. And you and I cannot neglect ourselves physically and think somehow we're going to be okay emotionally and spiritually. We cannot neglect our spiritual part, our spirit, and think somehow we're going to be okay physically and emotionally. They're all connected together. And so the rest that Jesus offers us is both a physical body rest, it is an emotional rest, it is a spiritual rest. It is a total rest. But I want you to see something else. Verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I thought to myself even this last week as I was preparing for this, wow, does that not describe the people of the world we live in today? I mean, how many of us throughout the last five or six months have not come to sometimes places where we just feel like, I am weary. I am worn out. I'm done. And I just feel like this, I'm carrying this weight, this burden on me. You know what Jesus says? Come. 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 You will find rest for your soul. He says, look, notice, Jesus does not promise in this passage that the circumstances necessarily will change. He doesn't promise us that all the time. Because God will not always change the circumstances. What God does promise is, whatever the circumstances you're going through, you'll be at rest. Because you will find rest for your soul in me. Come, take, learn. Here's a question. And only you and me and God knows the answer to this question today. Are you at rest? Are you at rest? Can you take a deep breath and truly say, God, I'm at rest in you. Even in this season, God, I have found my rest in you. I'm trusting you, God, to restore and rejuvenate me and refresh me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And God, I trust that however long this season goes in my life, that your grace and your rest will be sufficient to carry me all the way through, even if it's all the way through to the time I see you, Jesus, in heaven. I'm going to come to you, God. I'm going to take up your yoke for me. And I'm going to follow you every day, being a devoted disciple and learning from you up close 
firsthand experience so that I can find rest for my soul. God wants all of us to set aside time to regularly meet with him so that we can come together as God's people and reset and rejoice and be refreshed as we worship him and as we celebrate him, as we come to him, as we take from him, as we learn from him. Is it well with your soul? Would you stand as we pray? God, today, every last one of us, whether we are here physically in this auditorium or we're viewing through the live stream, every last one of us has a choice. We can continue to try to find our own rest in life, or we can cease doing it our way and start doing it your way, God. And it always starts, God, with our worship of you. And so, God, I pray today that as we come saying, as your people, God, you are worthy of our worship. You are worth us setting aside a day a week and coming together as your people and saying, this is not only a day where I'm going to be physically rejuvenated, but where I'm going to be spiritually refreshed and restored. Because I'm going to focus on you, God. I'm going to put you in your rightful place in this church, in our lives, so that we can experience your rest. It is my hope and prayer that none of us would leave this moment today with God in a state of unrest. Because if we do, that's our choice. We can choose right now to say, God, I'm coming. I'm coming to you, God. And I'm going to find rest for my soul, a rest that only you can give. As we sing this great song today, God, Maybe there's those of us who are already at rest and we're just, we're just here to affirm God, yes. And the reason we are at rest is because God, we're finding our rest in you. But maybe Lord, there's here, some here today, you're searching for rest. May you sing this song, saying, God, I'm coming to you right now, asking you to bring me to that place that only you can bring me, to that place of complete rest in you so that I can truly say it is well with my soul. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.